It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group with financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory. Welcome to another episode of the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group, where every week we're helping you take your next wise step in your financial life. Thanks for being here, friends. My name is Mike Bernard. I'm your host. I'm also one of the certified financial planners on the program. With me in the KFG studios, as always, my business partners and fellow CFPs, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Climbing the mountain and saving up for retirement often entails one type of an investment portfolio, one that is growth-oriented and structured for the long term. But getting down the mountain and starting to live off your investments requires a different strategy, and it's typically eight times harder climbing down <laughs> than it is to climb up. So how would you shift your investment portfolio from savings and growing to spending that and more on this episode. That's right. Question from fan of the show, multifaceted question that we're going to start with and then get into additional questions. If you have one for the show or we can help you take your next wise step in your financial life, we'd love to do so. Call or text us 574-222-2000. That's 574-222-2000. Online, wisemoneyshow.com. You can submit questions right there and learn a little bit more about the show and about the firm as well. And then all over social media, wherever, wherever you are, we are there as well. Search the Wise Money Show. All right, we did a show recently, and by recently, I don't know, a month and a half, maybe two months ago, about all right, should your different accounts, IRA, 401k, Roth IRA, joint account, individual account, blah, 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 should they all be invested the same way based on a certain common recipe, or should your entire portfolio have one recipe and then you sort of use different, you fill up those different accounts with the most appropriate investments for that account and had a great discussion. And out of that, a fan of the show reached out with a, with a great question, a longer question, and we're going to break it down into a few different kind of bite-sized chunks. So essentially, this individual said, close to retirement. And I'm curious, the overall thought process on as you shift from saving to spending. Number one, we've got a brokerage account, we've got a 401k, we've got IRA, we've got Roth IRA. So first and foremost, how much should you have in stocks versus how much should you have in bonds? That's one part of the question. Second is, how should you have the Roth IRA invested differently from the joint account, differently from, or the brokerage account, differently from the IRA account? And then lastly, what are your thoughts on, you know, doing a CD ladder and specifically uh, a 12 to 24 CD ladder with monthly certificates averaging about 5%. So, so very, very specific. And so great question. And I, you know, instantly would say, not only is that a great question, it's a great circumstance, one that you're asking some direct questions. You're going to want to work with your certified financial planner so they can look at all areas of your financial life. Specifically, I'm thinking multi-year tax projection. When are you going to draw Social Security? Some of these other intangibles that are going to inform what the right decisions are here. You, you, There are seemingly disconnected parts of your financial life that are actually connected. And you've got to consider those before you can really answer any of these questions. Mm -hmm. Right. This is so this is fascinating because this is a show about financial planning. And so there are six areas, formal areas of financial planning. We didn't make these up. We just practice in them. So your present financial position, protection planning, tax planning, investment planning, retirement planning and estate planning. 
this question sounds like an investment planning question. It really isn't because Mike started to hit on some things and I wanna, I wanna hit on them because we're, we're working on a situation right now for a 62 year old because there are questions. So you say, hey, I'm gonna start with the question, 60, 40 uh, fixed income, 40, 60 equity. Do I dial that up in fixed income or down in fixed income? And then that's a separate question then fixed income should be a CD letter or anything else. So let's just let's just start with the cocktail. What's the mix? Yeah. And is it 60-40? Okay, now throw that out. Because the question is, what is your income and what are your potential income sources? Because I might make the case that the 20% you've got in the brokerage account, you've already paid taxes on. That might be the the amount of money that you live on between 62 and 65 or 67 while you let social security continue to grow Mm -hmm. and therefore what your overall lifestyle is now because social security is growing at eight percent a year social security is going to cover more of your lifestyle need therefore you'll need to draw less from your overall retirement investments and that means you could switch that 60-40 to be 70-30 or something like that. Right. So I'm an avid listener to the show and I think, hey, wait a minute. You guys just did a show recently on the whole Roth IRA. So if I'm not taking Social Security, I have less income. So I'm going to convert a bunch of money from my traditional IRA to my Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. This is awesome. I'm going to do that. That's great. But so that's a so I'm talking investment planning that also is tax planning but that also hits the protection planning area. Yeah. You want to say more about that? Irma, I do. I so if you No. What do you mean? Yes, but no, that's not what I was thinking. Okay, Your so mind, then, then there, yeah. there's two. Yes. Yeah, that's right. So okay, so one if you start doing more Roth conversions and then all of a sudden you transition to you know Medicare at 65. No. At 62, at 62, my Cobra is two grand a month. And I say, I don't want to pay two grand a month for Cobra, Mike. At 62, I want to go on the Affordable Care Act. I know. So there's two areas. So the the one that I was talking about was if you're doing these Roth conversions. Uh No. (laughs) I want to get in on the action, too. I'm just going to shut you down. Feels good, doesn't it? (laughs) What you pay for your Medicare Part B and Part D is based on what your income was two years ago, the prior, prior year. So you were doing Roth conversions when you thought it was safe, and it probably was, but then you show up to start Medicare, and you're having to pay a surcharge, an IRMA surcharge. So that's one thing you need to be IRMA aware of. is income-related monthly adjustment amount. You got to be playing chess here because you you put the checkerboard away. This is a che- this is the this cosmic financial chess match. But the you- health insurance before retirement. That's the other area, Kevin. So you were talking about that. So the answer is no, you can't get a word in edgewise. No, you can't. I can't. I just wanted to correct you and let you know that you play chess on a checkerboard, though. That's right. It's the same board. It's the same. It's just No, not, it isn't. It's just not uh, written <laughs> black. Will, will you yell no at me? <laughs> no. Please. <laughs> I, I want to really, feel like I'm part I'm really of this not a yeller. I don't yell. I, the only time I've ever yelled is when I was coaching soccer or at my children. Other than that, I've, I just don't ever yell. <laughs> so the other way that this income impacts your protection plan mm-hmm. is if you're trying to solve 
the health insurance bridge between retirement or your workplace retirement plan and Medicare, what you pay could be and likely is going to be connected to what your income sources are. Josh? I'm exhausted by this. I enjoy it. It's fantastic. That was high energy. That was amazing. Well, this... this, But I I have no idea what you just said. Well, I'll tell you what. One of the, the... the funnest things that I get to do is work with uh, young kids because they just they, they they give and bring such energy. And we're working with the interns, and we do a case class at Corhorn Financial Group. It's the highlight of every Wednesday is when we sit and do case class. And when you work on cases like this, and you can – and then the cool thing, if the client is interested, if you can explain this to a client – and they get it. It is so much fun. Yeah. And they say, I didn't know all of these decisions, all these factors went into my decision making. That's what makes this so fun to do financial planning. And it's yes. also the reason why asking for a rule of thumb, like, hey, what should the recipe be when you get to this age? Well, it depends because you're going to show up at that age in a different spot than your neighbor or your parents did or your kids will someday. And it's the reason why your game plan for retirement or your investments as you transition into retirement cannot just be a simple 60-40 or 40-60, should I be 70-30. Throw that out the window, as Kevin said, because it really boils down to what is your time horizon? What are the early years of retirement going to look like for you uniquely? And how do you structure your investments to achieve that path, right? Your time horizon is going to involve signing up for Social Security at a different time than other people. So you need assets available at different times. It allows you to be more aggressive, maybe, in certain pockets of your portfolio than other people would. And so the solution has to be get, get with your certified financial planner and customize your plan for you not for a textbook or a rule of thumb. Got a couple other things we want to hit with this question and then a lot of other questions. That and more coming up on The Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Is a, C, is a CD ladder something you should consider right now? If you're retired or if you're conservative, what is a CD ladder anyway? It's We're a gonna... ladder on the wrong part of town. <laughs> wow. CD. All right. More jokes to come. <laughs> this is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn, Josh Gregory. Stay up to date on all Wise Money content. Find us online, wisemoneyshow.com. And then all over social media, wherever you're at, we are there as well. You know, there's, you know, sometimes it, uh, social media feeds me these videos of dad jokes. And I saw one with Will Ferrell and, and Marky Mark Wahlberg. That's pretty funny. There's <laughs> another group that just does dad jokes and they try to, like, try not to laugh. Uh, no one was laughing at that, Kevin. I, I was. I thought that was funny, but CD. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're breaking down a question from a fan of the show. And, and it was in response to a show that we did a few weeks ago about, um, or is in conjunction with that, about how do, you, how do you structure your investments for different types of accounts? I want to hit this sort of loosely. So guys, we touched on it, but there is no one size fits all recipe. So how, sh- how should you structure, what's, what's the right stock bond mix at retirement? Let's just state it again. It, it really depends on your withdrawals depends on your income sources, depends on your risk tolerance, depends on your overall goals. And mm-hmm. I don't want to say, well, 
then there is no answer. It just depends. But it it sort of does. Yeah. Uh, you know, to me, I, I am a big believer in the principle of asset matching, where you are taking long-term goals and funding them with long-term investments. Mm-hmm. Your short-term needs are funded with the most stable and short-term of, of investments, things like a money market or a CD, that kind of thing. And then, yeah, there's other purposes for money in in between as well. But as you arrive at retirement, not every single dollar that you're going to um, have in your nest egg is ne- going to need to be spent in the first year or even in the first decade. Mm-hmm. And now those dollars that are going to be needed early on, and it might be higher proportionate for proportion of your money coming in early on because you're funding life while you're waiting for Social Security to kick in, maybe. Or maybe you have a pension that's going to start a little bit further down the road and uh, you're just covering a window of, of time. Well, match the number of dollars that you need for that period of time and invest them in the correct natured investment. Yeah. Something stable, something safe, something income producing for that period. But those dollars that you're not going to touch until you're 80 or 85, maybe some of the money that it's possible that you never touch them and they're actually going to be leftovers when you're done with retirement, that's money that's going to the kids or grandkids or a charity that you really want to support. Great. That should be long-term investments. Those long-term investments are typically equity or stock market type investments, maybe long-term real estate type investments, where you're hoping that they grow in value, not just kick off income to you, mm-hmm. right? And it, it might feel counterintuitive because a lot of people have been using those types of investments their entire working career. They've stomached the ups and downs of the roller coaster ride that we call the stock market. And they're like, I, I don't know if I want to ride that ride anymore. You know, I I think I need to get more conservative. Well, that's true. With your shorter term money, it should not be riding the roller coaster of the stock market. But that roller coaster gives you the ability to grow small dollars into big dollars over long periods of time. And you have a portion of your nest egg that needs to be bigger dollars when you get out there to the 80s or 90s, just simply because life is going to be so much more expensive out there due to inflation. So there isn't a one-size-fits-all recipe like a target date fund might suggest. Um, I've seen 80-20 work. I've seen 20-80 work. Most people are 60-40. Most people tend to be more conservative right at retirement than they should be, if I could just blanket statement that. And then to the second part of the question, you absolutely need to optimize that stock bond mix based on the type of account. So going back to Kevin's rant earlier, if you're going to use the brokerage account as that, that's going to be where we're drawing dollars from because we're doing overall financial planning, tax planning, all that sort of stuff, then those dollars are going to be very conservative, and that will then make your Roth dollars much more aggressive or maybe your IRA dollars more aggressive. So you've got to tailor that to the types of accounts and tax diversification that you have. Now let's get to the last part of the question. And can I just say one thing? Because sure. this is a show about financial planning, and Joshua was talking about this asset mat- matching idea that can be incredibly helpful. We, I was just working with some clients, and they had uh, about $5 bucks of investment assets. They're incredibly conservative, 
um, and they're, they've got really healthy income in retirement. So their income is mostly taken care of. But they want to stay very conservative still. So when, in looking at what they would need, they if they started spending in a kind of ridiculous manner, they might get through half their assets. Hmm. So you we made the case and showed them based upon our analysis, they're, they're not going to get to about two and a half million bucks. Mm-hmm. So what do I match that to? Yeah, the, the kids? I would. And if I can compartmentalize that, because the if you're in your 60s and you've got that much money, you've watched that money uh, it, it go it, like a souffle, go up or go down. And so the, you're, you're nervous quite possibly. Well, if you can compartmentalize and say, look, this two and a half million, you don't need it. And so maybe you don't even take all two and a half million. Maybe you just take a million of the two and a half million and let that let those ponies run. Mm-hmm. And you say, I, I can't, I refuse to care about the short-term results of that part of my portfolio. It's 20% of my portfolio. Um, it's almost 50% though of the money I'll never get to in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. So that concept can be really, really useful in, in, the, in the planning process because you really want, you know, as, as our good friend Andy said, you, you want to be knowing where your money's going. But if you got a mm-hmm. chunk of money that doesn't need to be going anywhere, then find the right thing to match it to. Agreed. Love it. Completely. Last question then, part of this question. You guys, what do you think about CD ladders? Specifically, 12 to 24, but monthly maturing. I feel like that's overkill. I don't know if you need monthly maturing. Well, it depends depends on what you want to be thinking about. And (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Because if you want to be thinking about uh, CDs maturing on a monthly basis, then... Um, maybe it's not a, a bad idea. I think you could get similar results with CDs that are maturing every six months. Mm-hmm. And I think right now I would be tempted to ne- not necessarily ladder unless um, right now, as we speak today, um, the in what are we in in uh, July of 2023? Yeah. Yes. I, I, I don't know where good. you're going with this. Well, but I feel like Rip Van Winkle. I woke up this morning and I didn't know what time it was and what month I was in. So it's in July of 2023. The yield curve is still inverted. So with an inverted yield curve, maybe I should put everything in a six-month or a 12-month CD. I would look at that. Right now, I would think, am I looking at brokered CDs where I could buy a CD across? Um, and with CDs, what am I worried about? What's my risk? FDIC insured coverage. Yeah. Um, as as things, if things dis- end up worsening, I've got FDIC insured risk. So I might want to look at T bills instead, and I might want to put all of it in a six month T bill at uh, you know hot off the presses five point two three percent today. Yeah. You know, I think the the twelve to twenty four month CD ladder is almost an extreme version of that asset matching that we were talking about. Because you're basically saying, 
I'm going to take a chunk of money and slice it into 24 pieces. And each piece is going to buy a different CD that's going to mature at some point in the future. And they're all in succession. So every month there's something come and do. And that money becomes what you're spending. You know, it, it's a way for you to just set up essentially your budget. I know every month I've got a CD that's maturing and that's what I'm going to spend on in the next month. Yep. And now you know that the next 24 months, you know exactly where your income's coming from and it puts you in a pretty confident position. I agree, though, you may be able to have a more simple version without as much administration. You know. every, Put the first 12 months in FDRXX. Every six months or 12 months, throwing it into the money market, and then you draw off of that. So, all right, we've got more questions from fans of the show. That more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Can I use my 529 plan for K through 12 education expenses, or is it just for college? Well, there's even another twist onto that question. We're helping with that and more. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode of the Wise Money Show is on podcast. Wherever you listen, go check it out. Search the Wise Money Show. Rate the program there. We appreciate it and follow us as well. All right, we're listening or we're we're hitting questions from listeners and fans of the show. We just hit a multifaceted question about structuring your investment portfolio at retirement. And really the highlight is it's more than just your investment portfolio. You've got to look at the entire your entire financial life and financial plan in order to make a wise and great choice there. All right, Jill is a fan of the show as well. She submitted this question. Can I use my 529 plan to pay for tuition expenses at a public K through 12 school? I live in one community, but I send my kids to a public school in a different community. So let's break that down. You know, the first time everyone that I know, all the advisors, when they first heard that question, everyone was always like, huh, like, why would someone do that? But the the reality is. And and they were saying, huh, why would someone do that? And, and they would also you? say, can you and I give me a use case for that? Because that why are you even asking that question? Exactly. Yeah. Well, you know where we're uh, located here in the country. We're right on the state line between Indiana and Michigan, and so we have clients that often live in one state and work in the other. And in this case, the question is: I live in one state, but I'm sending my kids to a public school in the other state, and. If you're doing that, unfortunately, where you're paying your taxes as a homeowner and as a, an employee or you know paying in um, state income taxes and everything, it's not going to pay for that other state school, right? And so you can do this. A lot of school systems will let you um, send your kid to you know a school that's outside of your own normal jurisdiction as long as you pay the tuition. Mm -hmm. And so the question then was, well, can I use my 529 plan to pay that tuition? And we, we had to check because every time that uh, we, we talk about 529 plans, there's all these changes that have been happening in, in waves in recent years, but it's always been thought of as, well, it's a college savings type of a, a tool, right? Yeah. You use it to pay for room and board and tuition and things like that for college. but. There were tax laws uh, that happened years ago, five, six years ago. Back in 2017, one of the Trump tax laws 
uh, and I wrote it down. It was the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. I wouldn't have remembered that name. Nope. But it expanded the uses of the 529 plan. You can spend up to 10 grand per year on K through 12 educational expenses, tuition expenses, for a private school, a public school, or a religious school. We just never talk about public because it just doesn't come up very often. But this was that perfect case use or or use case (laughs) rather uh, that uh, that Kevin was referring to. And interesting situation, but up to ten grand. And uh, you know, is it worth it to you and your family to pay tuition in a different school system so that your kids can get in there? Some schools are worth it. Right. A scenario where some folks live in the neighborhood adjacent to ours and they bought a property on a lake. We're, I don't know where you live, where we live. There's a couple of just unbelievable lakes in northern Indiana, but there's a couple more than that. Just unbelievable lakes in southern, southern Michigan, not talking about Lake Michigan, but just sort of more community lakes. And family moved from the suburbs, some from the neighborhood and uh, out there, and they kept their kids in the same school district down here because they mm-hmm. were in high school and they wanted to just continue that. I, I don't know if they will, but yeah, the, the tuition was a lot, yeah. was a lot for this public school. Um, just to reiterate, Josh, the K through 12 use for of a 529 is tuition only. So if you are sending your child to a private school that has some sort of room and board, there's a few. It's a very popular and um, prestigious school locally here as well mm-hmm. uh, that has room and board. And that is not a qualified expense from 529 plan mm-hmm. That's when right. it's K through 12. So so great question. This, you're going to want to know these rules that should influence your investment choices. If you're looking and saying, well, this 529 plan, this is for college, I'm gonna invest it a certain way because college is still you know, 10 years off, but then you decide to use the money for K through 12, which is on your doorstep, you could have a mismatch, really the exact opposite of what we were talking about in the previous question. So be aware of that. All right, next question comes from the YouTube channel. I'm enrolled in my health insurance plan at work and my wife is on the plan as well. Can we also opt into her plan, which is a high deductible plan, so that we can take advantage of funding in HSA? Hmm. No, you can't. I mean, you could, but your HSA contribution would not be eligible. So one of the requirements, eligibility requirements for funding in HSA is you have to have a tax qualifying high deductible health insurance plan. And most people just leave it at that. In fact, when we talk in simpleton terms, we might say that, well, you need to have an HSA plan. But what we also mean, or the there's sort of more to the, the um, eligibility, and that is you're not allowed to have any other health insurance because otherwise everyone, or not everyone, but more people would do this. Well, my, at my, you know, at one spouse's employer, they provide a non-high deductible health plan, and the cost to be on the plan is very reasonable. But then the other spouse has an HSA plan available for them, and so why not get the best of both worlds? We'll get the low deductible plan at a reasonable cost, and we'll get the ability to max out an HSA. Perfect, right? We've just skirted the rules. No, 
the rules exist that if you have other health insurance, you can't fund an HSA. So, so for this to work, wouldn't they just have to each be on their own separate employer's plan? Correct. So if she came off of his and went on to hers, then she would be able to be covered by her employer and it would be an HSA plan. So she would be able to make an individual contribution. Correct. So I, I think the key to the question here, not to like nitpick, but it's the fact that um, this listener said, can we take advantage of it? The answer is no, but she can take advantage of it if she were to switch plans. Yeah. And you'd need to then consider, well, is uh, how likely, you don't know the future, how likely is it that she would reach her deductible or have a lot of -of out-of-pocket expenses? And therefore, does it make sense to peel her off and have her on an HSA or high deductible plan um, versus the more comprehensive plan that you're on? Um, And, you know, the individual contribution limits for an HSA, those are, you know, smaller, obviously, than than family. Right now in 2023, the single contribution limit, 3850 If you're age 55 or older, you can do an additional 1000 on top of that. So you've got to determine, well, does, does that make sense? Yeah. This is the type of question. It's one of my favorite to be able to collaborate with a health insurance expert on. And this is what you want. You want your certified financial planner Mm -hmm. with a whole bunch of amazing professionals in their back pocket or on speed dial that you can have a joint meeting with your your advisor, with your health uh, guides as well, and just evaluate what are your options here. And they, they are experienced. They are knowledgeable on getting into the nitty gritty details of a side by side comparison between the two plans. And you, you wouldn't want to leave an amazing plan to go to an okay plan just because it has an HSA attached to it, mm-hmm. most likely, right? But maybe you would. Maybe there's some cost savings there. Maybe both coverages are mostly free. Uh, there's, there's a lot of implications here, and you need to be looking at it, scrutinizing the details. And it's probably a team of advisors that are helping you with that. I love the idea if, if that spouse is relatively healthy, and you're comfortable living with the risk of, well, what if that changes, you know, and we'd have more out-of-pocket expenses, that's fine. But if they're relatively healthy and you're comfortable with that risk, peeling her off and having her on the HSA plan, the high deductible health plan, funding that HSA and treating it like an additional retirement account, doing the shoeboxing that we've talked about a lot on, on the show. I love that idea. I absolutely do. So look at all areas of your financial life, including tax planning, but obviously present financial position, and, and, you know, retirement planning, investment planning as well. All of that feeds into this health insurance decision that would be in protection planning. So great question. All right. We've got additional questions for the show. I'm 70 years old. I'm drawing Social Security. Got a pension. Should I be doing Roth conversions as well? We've got that answer and more coming up on the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group. Thanks for being here. This is the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. My name is Mike Bernard. With me in the KFG studios, Kevin Corhorn and Josh Gregory. Every episode, as well as a lot of other contents on the YouTube channel, go check it out. Go to YouTube, search the Wise Money Show, and follow us there. All right, we're hitting questions from fans of the show. And and to be honest, most questions do come through the YouTube channel. So make sure you, you check out that content. You can leave questions right there. They get to me. We try to Uh, respond to them there as well. Also, they go into the queue here. So got a question from fan of the show, Nina. Here's what she said. I'm 70 years old. 
I'm retired. I'm also divorced, so I'm subject to higher, some higher tax brackets. I'm drawing Social Security. I also have a pension. I do not have a Roth IRA. Can I move some money from my traditional IRA to my Roth? How much can I contribute? I know my Medicare premium will be based on those higher tax brackets. So here's the thing, and, and I'm reading her question directly, but so you're, Nina, you're aware of IRMA, which means if you do Roth conversions and your income exceeds certain thresholds, then in two years, you could pay more for your Medicare Part B, Part D. That's fairly advanced. You're aware of that. But you're discussing doing a, a Roth contribution. And there's actually two different ways to get money into the Roth IRA. You, In order to make a contribution, you have, you have to have earned income. And the Social Security and pension, are, those are not earned in, That's not in, earned income. Mm-hmm. So you can't contribute directly to your Roth. Nor is, is income from your rental house. There are a lot of things that's confusing because you say, well, I'm paying a lot of taxes on a lot of income. And you want to be precise in in how that income is characterized because it that determines what you can and can't do. Yeah, I always think in terms of like paycheck money or if you have your own business, your own side business as a self-employed individual, that can qualify you to contribute to an IRA or a Roth IRA. But as these guys said, when you're in retirement and you're no longer working at all, then the contribution option for getting money into the Roth IRA goes away. But you still have the other one. And you actually made reference to that, Nina. The the thought of moving money from your traditional IRA to your Roth IRA, that has a different term. It's not a contribution. It's a conversion. And so you're taking money you've already saved for retirement in one bucket, and you're flipping it over into the other bucket and creating a taxable event in between. So all the money that you pull out of the IRA and put into the Roth would be a conversion amount, and that gets added to all your other sources of income when your taxes get prepared. And that's where you have to be careful about accidentally taking your income too high and maybe triggering some higher costs to yourself on your Medicare premiums a couple years down the road. There is no limit. You can do all of it. You could do your entire IRA if you wanted to, but that certainly would push you into higher tax brackets and most likely put you into Irma. I'm looking at it right now. Those that pay Irma in 2023, individual filers, had their adjusted, modified adjusted gross income above 97000 in 2021. And those, you know, will continue to to cascade from there. Yeah. So the, the question is, now you, you say you've got high income, so it's quite possible that 85 cents of every dollar of Social Security is already being taxed. If it's not, you want to be aware that converting IRA to Roth IRA might, you might not just pay tax on that dollar, but you might be bringing 85 cents of your Social Security over as well. So you you might convert and pay tax on a dollar 85 instead of the dollar that you were planning on, which takes me back to tax planning yeah. and 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 looking because you've got a couple options. I would, Nina, I would tell you, go back and listen to um, our show on the Roth IRA. And I'm sorry, I just had a thought. Uh, I went to school with Nina Audubray, and it, we called her Nina, not Nina. So I, I don't know. Was she your friend? Yeah. yeah. Okay. She married Stuart 
Jones. Okay. It's awesome. I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so I, I think, uh, and you say Stuart, uh, not the other way. Okay. And um, so anyway, so the, the interesting thing about this is, Nina, Nina, go listen to our show on the on on the Roth IRA because um, Michael Roth Bernard would be telling you, "Hey, get that Roth IRA open. You want that Roth IRA open for five years because that's when you're really home free." So there's another component to there's another layer to Nina's question. Mm-hmm. She's seventy years old. Mm-hmm. So you're able to do these Roth conversions. You need to be aware of the tax consequences, and and you'll want to have a plan for paying those tax consequences, whether that's withholding, which is an option, or paying it out of cash, which we like better. Um, but coming at 73, the year you turn 73, you're going to be required to take a certain amount out of your IRA. You can still do Roth conversions, but it's got to be above and beyond after you've taken your required minimum distribution. So it's possible you could and should do some multi-year tax planning right now to see, well, how much should I or could I convert right now to not get close to Irma, not get into the next tax bracket, blah, 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 and do it now because you might do the math and say, yeah, because once I turn age 73, I'm not going to be able to do a Roth IRA because if I have to take my R- or Roth conversion, because if I have to take my RMD and then do a Roth conversion above that, that is going to trigger those other things that I want to avoid. Yeah. And um, just to, you said 73 at 72. Nope. It changed to 73 in uh, the Secure Act 2.0. So okay, nice, that's try. Right. nice uh, try. No, no, no. It says updated March. 14, 2023, and I don't want to read something to you, but at the risk of reading something to you, owners of a traditional area, blah, 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 accounts must begin taking RMDs once the account holder is age 72. Now, this is off the IRS website, updated March 14th of 2023. On so, it, but it's creeping higher. And in fact, that's part of the plan. That yeah, it's going to get up to 75. So, so this is, this is to say two, two uh, well, one reasonable guy and one fairly unreasonable guy disagree, <laughs> and so because they say reasonable minds disagree, but it, it, it's it's impossible for guys that do this for a living to know for sure. So I would say work closely with your CFP because you will have to start taking money out um, when you hit a certain age. Yeah, I think <laughs> I think the point here is that it's it's a narrow window of time, and everyone who's listening, not just Nina at age seventy is facing some sorts of windows of time where you have an opportunity to do something really proactive and really great for your financial future. And the question is, is it going to slip by without you even noticing, yep. without you even being aware? And so to me, if, if you're not aware of what opportunities are coming and going right now in your life or what uh, income thresholds you're approaching in your tax picture, if that's not crystal clear to you, then you really need to be treating this as your opportunity to get started in financial planning. Get a certified financial planner in your life to be pointing these things out to you so they don't get missed. There you go. All right, we're going to sneak one more question in here from Jeremiah. I've spent eight years in the Army National Guard as a uh, military police officer. It says, don't hate the MPs, Kevin. Uh, got married a few <laughs> years ago. We've been living off my wife's income, saving mine. Now I'm looking to enter a new industry. I was 
wondering what your guys' suggestion is for the industry I should pursue or maybe benefits. Uh, I'm, I plan on pursuing my CPA and CFP, maybe even a master's in business. What do you guys think? Uh, thank uh, you for your service, awesome. Jeremiah. And remember, you can't spell wimp without MP. Oh, my oh goodness. My Laying goodness. it down. Uh, Kevin I, is not in charge of our recruiting here at KFG. <laughs> but if he was, he would have said, yes, go start your career as a certified financial planner no, and a CPA no, Jer- and do it here. Yeah, yeah. I think, Jeremiah, I would um, reach out to me personally, Jeremiah. You can find me on uh, LinkedIn or where or you can call. You just go on the website call because I would love to talk to you about a career in financial planning. And if I were you, Jeremiah, I would start with an externship. And that's Mm -hmm. something that we could help you with um, because that's something for younger folks. It's something for career changers, a number of people to get a a broad exposure. It's an eight-week program to get a broad exposure to the career. And I personally think this is the best job in the history of jobs. Yeah. And not to mention, I mean, the CPAs, so tax professionals that understand financial planning, oh, my goodness, are in high demand. And that's a rarity. It's a unique person that can pull that off. But we, they're in desperate need. So MPMP, great. MPMP, don't arrest me. <laughs> arrest that man behind the tree. All right. That is all the time <laughs> we have the whiskey. for, I stole the wine. for today. We have a Josh Gregory, Kevin Corhorn, all of us at Corhorn Financial Group. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for the Wise Money Show with Corhorn Financial Group. All I want to do is a double time. I feel like I was watching Olympic ping pong right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you were back and forth. Yes, it was great. Slamming and oh, Come on. That was, that was good. But it, yeah. It made well, me it, scared at times. It It is scary. It, the it, no was a little scary. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what did I say? What did I say? <laughs> I told you there was two and I was going to go talk about one. No. <laughs> it, was, it was great. Securities offered through Silver Oak Securities, member FINRA slash SIPC. Advisory services offered through KFG Wealth Management, LLC. Doing business as Corhorn Financial Group. KFG Wealth Management, LLC and Silver Oak Securities Incorporated companies are unaffiliated.